Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week's show is a joy. We speak with Sydney-based aerial photographer Brad Walls. We welcome back Aaron Pelivan from Return Trip, a magazine exploring how travel makes us feel. And something a little different on The Stack today. We speak with German DJ and producer and journalist Daniel Haxman, the man responsible for popularizing baile funk outside Brazil. Enjoy. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Coming up on the show, we head to Berlin to speak with DJ and producer Daniel Haxman on his new release, plus Erin Pelvin on her beautiful and thoughtful travel title, Return Trip. But first on the show, we discuss aerial photography with Sydney-based professional on the field, Brad Walls. His work is a thing of beauty, bringing a fine art touch to aerial photography. His latest photo series is called Water Geomates, on the beauty of synchronized swimming. I spoke with Brad about his latest work and his techniques as well. I was always interested in not just photography, but playing around with different creative things as a child. So my mom had a camera when I was uh, maybe, I don't know, 17 or something, and I started playing around with it. And I didn't really think much of it until uh, later on, maybe when I was around mid-20s and I went traveling and I'd been very interested in technology. So I was just drawn to drones for that aspect. And then I kind of put two together again and I kind of fell in love with photography again. Um, so that's where it all started. Uh, what's the technical part of being an aerial photographer? I mean, do you need kind of, you know, a good drone or, or is it more kind of the sensibility of the picture after, you know, you take the picture? Because you use a lot of experimentation with your aerial photography as well, right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't actually call myself in the definition of aerial photographer. I, I you know, I, I think ever since, you know, we had the greats of, you know, kind of helicopter photographers, you know, Jeffrey Milstein and, and Alex McLean. I don't know if you know any of those guys, but they're kind of the, the founders of, of, you know, aerial photography. I think my kind of point of difference is that kind of low altitude portrait, you know, work that, that I do. And it, it's not even portrait in its sense, because, but it, it, it's kind of this, I kind of describe it as too high for, you know, a handheld, but, you know, um, too low for a helicopter. So it's kind of in that nice, sweet five to 10 meter range. So, yeah, I mean, drones at the start when I first got one were a little bit more difficult to use. So, you know, it did take some technical know-how, but nowadays I think, you know, the, the second and third iterations of drones, they're getting a lot simpler to use. In terms of themes, I mean, I know you're quite, you know, there's quite a lot of sport that you take. Of course, your latest series is about synchronized swimming, which is such a beautiful sport. I mean, and, and, and it is true. I mean, we, we needed actually more pictures about it. So I'm glad you did uh, a series on such a fascinating sport. And it looks amazing. If you could tell us a bit more about this latest series, which I believe is called Water Geomates. Yeah, so Water Geomates um, was actually my second series with these this um, group of synchronized swimmers there from Sydney. And so it's eight, eight girls choreographed by an ex Commonwealth Games synchronized swimmer. So I think, 
you know, I learned a lot in my first time shooting these girls and knowing what to do. And that was probably about a year and a half ago. And I felt like I didn't really capture what I needed to get. And I was still a little bit amateur, more amateur at that stage. So I developed my, you know, my, my, my theme a bit more, my aesthetic. And I was kind of really moving in towards that, you know, concentrating on, you know, lineage and, um, you know, shapes within my work. And I wanted to come back, but I wanted to come back more methodical than I was previously. And so I started drawing just shapes on just on my phone or iPad and, you know, trying to figure out how I could create these polygons or whatever you'd call them, circles, um, squares, rhombus, diamonds, all these shapes and working with, you know, Katrina, the, the, the um, choreographer of the team and kind of collaborating to create them. Um, so you will see many different shapes in there, some harder than others, but yeah, that, that's, that's how it cuts to the idea behind it. And Brad, how has it been your experience with kind of printed media? I mean, do you get commissioned by a couple of magazines or newspapers or, or how, how do you use your uh, work after? Of course, I, I know you have a you know, fabulous Instagram account as well. Yeah, great question. It's, I traditionally just posted on Instagram and, you know, waited to try and go viral. But, you know, over time, I think Instagram has made some changes. I'm very ambivalent about Instagram. I do it to show my work in a portfolio sense. I don't expect any Instagram to give me anything out of it. But nowadays, I've started to outreach more to to people that won't see my work because I can't rely on on technology companies to show my work. So I, I reach out to journalists that I feel I've got a connection with and want to show work that is, is new and fresh. And, you know, that, 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 that's how I get my work out there these days. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that people take it up, like, like you, that would want to talk to me. So, yeah. Well, definitely. And, 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 and I would like to mention, there's one series you did, which I find it so beautiful. First of all, because I am a little bit obsessed with swimming pools, actually. Uh, the pools from above, I mean, they're incredible. I really, really love it. I mean, are you also obsessed about swimming pools? Because I can see they're always present in your work as well. Yeah, I think there's a strong theme of aquatic, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's always, there seems to be an element of water in there. Yeah, I, I've been asked this, the question a few times about water and I, I can't really seem to nail it. I think, it's, I think it's nostalgia somewhere for me. I think my childhood, I had a pool growing up, um, you know, surrounded by the ocean. So I, I, I try and draw that, that could be the inspiration. But I mean, I, it all came back to when, when I kind of, you know, traveling around and staying at these places where they had, that, you know, nice resort pools and, you know, that series in particular, I think what was so prolific about that was in its way, it showed something ordinary, of, of, like an ordinary object that you would see that you wouldn't expect to look so beautiful from a different angle. And I think that's, that is what was compelling about it. Um, and I think why it went so viral at the time was because, you know, everyone was locked down in COVID and, you know, seeing pools and water just made you think, oh, I, I want to go on holiday. So uh, I think that that kind of draw, but uh, yeah, it, it's something about nostalgia for me. There was Brad Walls there. You can find out more about his work on bradscanvas.com or on his Instagram at bradscanvas.
Now on the show, I had the pleasure to speak with someone that I'm a big fan of, DJ and producer Daniel Haxman from Man Recordings label. Daniel always had a keen ear for Brazilian music and helped to export the baile funk rhythm worldwide. He has a new single out called Vem, a much-needed dose of tropical optimism to the dance floor. The imagery of its video is brilliant as well, full of tropical birds. I spoke to Daniel a bit more about his career and, of course, about Vem. Vem came together like in January, February this year, at the time when the Berlin winter was the coolest and... Um, It was very dark and cold, and I've, I really um, normally in, during winter time I'm, you know, trying to spend my time in the southern hemisphere, preferably in Brazil. But uh, due to the pandemic situation, I couldn't go this year, and um, yeah, I was so full of sorrow and thought, ah, really, I have to make a song that kind of, yeah, reflects my sorrow and my yearning for like a warm climate and to be on a dance floor with other people breathing the same air like other people. But of course, it wasn't possible. So yeah, I went to the studio and um, that's how my song or my track, Vem, came together. And Vem is Portuguese for come. And it's kind of a invitation to come back to this thought of sharing the dance floor with other people and to dance under, um, yeah, under um, open skies. And um, yeah, something, you know, a lot of people are missing after this this terrible year of um, you know the pandemic situation so it's kind of an imaginary soundtrack or um, of a party where i would like to dance or play myself as a dj oh beautifully described that's exactly the same thing i felt uh, when i first <laughs> when i first heard it as well and what about the visuals i mean the birds i mean mm -hmm. it was just really beautiful it really matched kind of the song in a way how how was uh, who who actually did the whole kind of imagery for that Yeah, the images were done by uh, Vincent Britz, uh, who is um, a director and a CGI designer from Berlin. And I knew his stuff before, but then at one point I was um, just um, accidentally on his website and was checking out his um, his works. And then I found this video that he made like a couple of years ago of tropical birds. Um, it was like a 10 second video. And I was really blown away that um, apparently for this video, he drew frame by frame Uh, real footage of tropical birds in the wild and then animated them which made it look very natural and for me that was also a perfect embodiment of um, of the sound of my song because it also features you know insect songs or sounds from a forest and of course everything is done on the computer but still it has a live feeling because also Vame includes strings and a harp And uh, for me, these birds and the way Vincent animated these birds was a perfect match, like a visual match to the music that I made. And, you know, Daniel, I would like to also ask you about your deep connection with Brazil. I mean, my home country as well. So because I just realized there's so many. I mean, you you are kind of the man that helped kind of put Baile Funky and some of Brazilian new music out there as well. You know, so, mm -hmm. of course our Bossa Nova was very popular, but then there was a period where it was difficult to market Brazilian music outside Brazil. But I think you, you, you kind of helped out a bit with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, I mean, it was never a plan. It was really out of passion because um, in the early 2000s, when I first heard funk, I was in a DJ crisis. You know, I wasn't happy with the music coming out of Europe and the US. And then a friend brought me these CDs from from. Uh, from a street market in Rio and I, I was blown away by this music, by this powerful 
sound and uh, I didn't understand the lyrics, but I was feeling that it was very energetic party music. And I started to play it in my DJ sets in Berlin and um, the response was very enthusiastic. So I decided to go there myself and um, made a compilation which was called Rio by the Funk Favela Booty Beats, which was basically the first international compilation for this sound introducing a non-Brazilian audience to this music and um, ever since then I was going back and forth between Berlin and Rio working with lots of musicians also DJing there very often and um, yeah so it's like it became kind of my second home and um, so I'm really happy now to have made the song Vain but also in the recent you know I just did a remix for Dom Salvador um, Hey Você which was one of my favorite Brazilian tunes from the 70s and yeah, I mean, in Brazil, in Brazilian music, for me, that's my home and um, combining sort of the electronic legacy and the electronic culture, electronic music culture of Berlin with the sound and the vibes of Brazilian music. That's sort of, that's what I like to do. And, and Daniel, I'm not sure, because I'm sure you have a lot of Brazilian friends, but one thing I actually, you know, which is very admirable what you've done, because of course, Baile Funky was very popular in the favelas, but then I found that some of the Brazilian elites didn't actually respect it so much funk, but when it became quite cool abroad and then it kind of went back to Brazil and then it became kind of acceptable again. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's a weird thing, but they needed the kind of the sign of approval of, of someone from outside Brazil as well. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's like a sort of a, a cultural, like an external cultural evaluation. And I think that happens many times with, you know, pop music or music in general, you know, that at home people really don't understand or are not appreciating uh, certain music styles, but abroad they're very successful. It was, you know, there's many examples. It was the same for Kraftwerk, you know, in Germany, they were popular. They had a few hits uh, in the charts. But in the US, for example, like their albums were in like in the top five, you know, and um, and they were much more famous abroad than in Germany. And the same is with Daft Punk, you know, they were big in the UK before they became big in France. And um, I'm sure in Brazilian music, there's many examples or in any other kind of music styles, you know, where artists first have to become famous outside before they get appreciated by a domestic audience. And you are the director of MEM Recordings. Uh, mm -hmm. How's it going? What has been kind of your latest uh, releases? Of course, Veng, I believe, is the latest one, right? Yeah. But, but in which kind of music are you being influenced at the moment? Oh, well, it's still music that is sort of um, in dialogue with um, styles from the Southern Hemisphere, from Southern Africa, from Angola, uh, Mozambique, uh, South Africa, but also Brazil. I'm going to release an album by a, a Berlin crew. They're called Freak de la Freak. And they run actually the biggest sort of Afro beats parties in Berlin. And they're currently working on a new album. Then I'm working on a single with uh, an opera singer from Armenia. She did a really amazing version of La Habanera. And um, we're going to put that out in summer. So yeah, it's like, again, you know, it's like a mix of, of sounds and grooves from the South and mixing them up with... Um, sounds from Berlin and Berlin is not only the, sort of the capital city for electronic music but also the capital city of classic music so there's a lot of classic musicians in town with whom you know you can collaborate and um, that's why also my new single there's these strings that I recorded with a cellist there's a harp with a that I recorded with a harpist and uh, same for the piano and that's what I really tried to dig a bit deeper into is sort of mixing the sort of classical sounds also classical European melodies with the grooves from the South. 
And Daniel, are you looking forward, perhaps, hopefully, with good news from the pandemic for the reopening of clubs? And because I'm sure it must have affected, I mean, you and many other musicians yeah, yeah. and people related to the music world. Mm. Uh, I don't know what's the latest in Germany, but are you looking forward? Do you think perhaps in the summer there will be a little bit more openings? Or Yes, I hope. I mean, everybody is really hoping for it. I mean, the pandemic, like restrictions are pretty strict uh, and the clubs have been closed since late March. And last summer there were a few open air events, but they were also very limited in terms of yeah, audience access. But of course, everybody is hoping that at least there, were, there, there will be a few uh, festivals taking place with uh, distancing measures. But still, it's very vague. And the, the Berlin Club Commission, which is sort of the initiative that represents Berlin clubs, is uh, not expecting for Berlin clubs to uh, reopen in spring 2022. So that's still a few months to go. But um, a few of the internationally playing DJs, you know, they already started to play abroad, like in Asia. Uh, some play in Mexico, which is not so popular here in the DJ community because it's known that they're not very strict about um, the pandemic laws. But at least in Asia and Australia, New Zealand, you know, clubs are reopening and also in UK. I mean, in summer, there's a few festivals uh, planned. But yeah, unfortunately, it's still very vague. But of course, you know, everybody really would like to get, you know, have a nice night out in a club and dance to loud music and share it with other people. But yeah, unfortunately, it's um, it's not sure when that will actually happen again, unfortunately. And then I'm just going to ask you something, you know, it's a little bit random, but of course you are in Germany. And I, I am curious about the pop scenes in every single country. How is mm. actually the music scene in Germany? Because, you know, is there a rhythm? Is electronica still a big thing? What, what's kind of on the charts there in Germany? Because, you know, it's such a big country, a big music mm -hmm. consumer. But I think not many people know, actually, what do actually Germans are listening to? Oh, well, I mean, German rap is actually still very big. It's uh, commercially also the most successful genre at the moment. And there's some really promising artists that, um, I mean, there's there's kind of German gangster rap, which I think is quite horrible, <laughs> also in terms of the production. But um, there's, um, there's a few artists, you know, like, um, for example, Haiti. She's a, a singer from Hamburg who does um, trap, but with German lyrics, but very clever lyrics. And then there's the Antilopen Gang and their lead singer, uh, Danger Dan, who just released an amazing anti-fascist song. Because as you know, you know, in Germany, we had a rise of right-wing tendencies in the last couple of years. And luckily, the Antilopen Gang, which is his band and his solo career, are very articulate against right-wing politics. Then there's, um, it's Kitsch Creek. They're from Kreuzberg, actually, and they're the biggest producers they also released an amazing album end of last year no actually early this year and um they were actually they're actually my favorite production crew at the moment in germany and the whole electronica thing is not really happening in the charts i mean none of the techno and house djs are really looking at the charts they're more looking at making tracks and playing internationally but i mean the sound in berlin has become much more diverse than let's say in the 90s in the 90s it was pretty much techno and electronica and out of the electronica scene interestingly also lots of software companies emerged you know companies such as ableton are basically uh, you know fruits of the electronica scene from the 90s when uh, musicians started to, to say okay we need better equipment we need better uh, software with which we could do our music and that's how they started ableton 
And uh, there's Native Instruments, which is a huge company for music, for electronic music instruments particularly. So it has, is a very diverse and also in a very, um, yeah, a sizable economy by now. And uh, since Berlin is not the city where Daimler-Benz and Bosch and Siemens are based, you know, the big sort of German companies, it's more like these more technology-oriented, music-based, music-rooted companies. Plus, there's a huge startup scene in uh, in Germany, in Berlin particularly. And I think after Tel Aviv and London, it's the third biggest uh, startup hub in Europe, or like in this area. And... Um, yeah, and that's quite promising. And also there's a, a complete new generation of people that has moved to the city. It's much more international than it used to be, for example, in the 90s. And um, yeah, I think Berlin is still a very exciting place to live. Unfortunately, at the moment, it's a bit, yeah, limited. <laughs> but um, yeah, people, you know, can still go outside and you, there's, you know, lakes very close by. There's huge parks where you can walk around. And um, yeah, but um, I still love being in the city and it's still very inspiring to me. That was Daniel Huxman there and his single Veng is out now in all media platforms. And finally on the show, we welcome back Toronto-based Erin Pelvin from Return Trip magazine. The title's second issue is an astute observation on what it means to feel out of place in our travels. What does it mean to stand out while traveling? It is a beautiful issue for sure, and here is Erin with more. So the second issue, um, the theme is out of place. And I think like the reason why we decided on the theme is we wanted to explore... Um, what it means to stand out while traveling, what it means to fit in, and um, what kind of privileges or discriminations would be experienced in that um, when navigating foreign places. And I think it's a very common um, feeling to feel out of place when you travel. But also in the last year with COVID, like to feel out of place at home is, is also a real thing. And even before COVID, you know, if you're, um, let's say from an immigrant family or a refugee or something like that, there's always this kind of underlying feeling uh, or even an expat, like feeling of um, out of placeness maybe in your home country or the country you currently live in, I guess, if that makes sense. And, and I'm just kind of guessing here, but I have a feeling because the world, I mean, last year, this year, I mean, the world had to close down a little bit. And I wonder if people's mentality will go with it in the future as well. And that. And that out of place feeling might just kind of get worse in a sense. And I love one of the pieces, I believe, Canadian uh, person living in Germany, you know, clearly she was from Canada, but then everybody was asking, but what are you really, really from? And that's yeah. the kind of the classic question, right? Where are you really, really from? Which is quite an annoying question, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was Michelle Kay's piece. Um, yeah, she's uh lives in Toronto right now, but uh, she lived in Hamburg for a while, and, and her background is uh, she's from Hong Kong originally, or her parents are, and yeah, like just constantly being asked that question. Of course, it would lead one to feel very out of place or having to constantly explain themselves when I don't know. Yeah, maybe we don't have to. And how was it to make the second edition? Because I have a feeling that you, like many of us couldn't travel as much as you should, especially for you dealing with travel, having a travel magazine. So it must be quite interesting times uh, for you. Tell us a bit more about that. 
Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, we wanted to actually launch the issue in like May, 2020. Um, we had all the stories ready, but then we kept delaying and delaying just because we were really not sure with everything that was going on. And then we took, we took our time actually, like we wanted to kind of think about the artwork we were choosing and certain people we wanted to collaborate with. So um, in a way, like it was good that it was delayed kind of. Also we're an international team. So myself and Jessica, the creative director were based in Toronto, but our art director who used to live in Toronto now lives in Singapore. And so we had a lot of like late night or early morning phone calls trying to figure out like art direction and, and illustrations and things like that. So, I mean, it was such an awesome thing to collaborate with your friends like that. But I mean, it definitely pushed things back, especially because we all work. But in a way, like, I think now is, is kind of a perfect time to launch Return Trip because um, I think the the theme is kind of evergreen. Like none of our stories are about traveling during COVID. They all kind of take place in the past, but they also feel very current, I think. And so I think even when all of this is over, that these stories will still really resonate with people. And another reason why I think it's very important that you launch an, an, an edition at the moment is because I think people generally, they want to be transported to another place. You know, I know you must love Toronto, I love London. But, you know, as a traveler, you know, I do get bored, you know, because the traveling is so nice to different cultures, a different air, different everything. That's so important. And well, I think reading a magazine like yours gives us a sense of hope as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think we have to really use our imaginations and our minds to transport ourselves right now um, because our bodies are not quite able to leave to go somewhere else at least not in Canada anyway so yeah I mean we, we can explore our own country in our own home and that's that can be really exciting if it's safe to do that but um I know it's it's tough like getting the air of different cultures like you were saying is so um important like it really gives you a new perspective and a new way of life and it makes you realize like um the way you're living is not the way everyone else lives you know the way that I live in Toronto um the things that I expect out of my society, they're totally different in another place. And like, that's invigorating to really see that happen in other places. And Erin, personally, I mean, during your travels, have you, have you ever felt kind of out of place when you travel? I mean, as you say, it can be a bad thing, but also I guess sometimes can also be a good thing. You know, people become interested in you precisely because you're from somewhere else. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely not a bad thing. It can be, but I think in a way it, it can be like kind of empowering or kind of make you feel more sure of yourself. So yeah, in a lot of my travels, I felt out of place. You know, when I was an exchange student in Copenhagen, you know, I didn't speak the language. So right then and there I was out of place or when I lived in Vietnam for a summer, you know, I, I don't look Vietnamese. So immediately I'm seen as out of place or a foreigner or other or different but I think those experiences um like they made me a stronger person and they made me kind of who I am today and shape my identity so I think it's actually quite important to feel out of place in a way to kind of understand who you are no that's a very good point 
And Erin, in terms of return trip, I think it's been, you know, the new issue has been quite a success already. It has been, you sold quite a lot of copies, but you know, but our stack listeners, they might want to, to, to find out a bit more. Where is the best way? Is it through your website? And I guess you have some stockists around the world as well. Yeah, so returntrip.ca is our website. Our Instagram handle is at returntripmag. And most of our stockists are in Toronto, but we, we now have a stockist in Montreal, which is very exciting, which is uh, Library St. Henri, which is a fantastic independent bookstore. Uh, we should all be supporting our indie bookshops right now. So uh, I would highly recommend checking them out if, if you live in Montreal. <laughs> that was Aaron Palavan from Return Trip Magazine. Issue two is out now. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fb at monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, meanwhile, you can always listen to it again or the previous episodes at monaco.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. And before we go, a little song for you. It's Daniel Haxman with Vain. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.